0: Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. We wanted to do something we have never done before. We're calling it 4x4 because we're going to have four amazing speakers hang with us today. And we're kicking off this series called Summer Fruit. And so throughout the messages today, you're going to kind of hear what this is all about, uh, what the fruit of the Spirit uh, means in our lives. But to sum it up, here's, here's what it means, that there is an evidence outwardly of something that's happened inside of us when we have a real relationship with God. And so uh, today you're going to hear uh, these amazing people. They've done so great. I've loved each service. They all happen to be involved in some capacity um, as a strategic leader in our church. All of them are actually involved with our students. So if you're familiar with Paramount, you're going to know these guys. Uh, but they, they really did an amazing job. I want to also just give a shout out to somebody in the crowd today. Um, Pastor Joe is not with us speaking, but he is in the house. He's actually kind of hiding out over here. Can we give it up for him and tell him we love him? Um he just wanted to hear them today, and uh, he's actually on vacation right now, so he's just one of us just taking it in, and then he's going to go get some rest, so thank you for praying for him, and uh, listen, I, with, without any further ado, I don't want to take any more of their time, but I get to introduce our first speaker. Not only is she beautiful inside and out, she happens to be my wife, and uh, her name is Aaron Caminetti. Can we give it up for Aaron Caminetti?
1: Well, hey, I'm so excited to get to be with you guys this weekend, and like Joe said, I am his wife, but he is my husband, right? <laughs> so um, actually, it's cool this year. We will have been married 10 years, and um, today is 15 years that we've been together, which is crazy. Um, I was 15. He was 16. Yeah, I like that. you him for love. Yeah. Um, So yeah we met at a church summer camp actually the same summer camp that our students are going to in about a week so all the parents in here you can be real worried (laughs) um but yeah we met there and i am not from warren i am from urbano ohio and that's like four hours from here so we had to date long distance and um, that was actually a lot of fun a lot of people hate the concept of long distance but we loved it because we were both talkers so we talked on the phone a ton but we had so much in common so It made it really easy. But we definitely had things that we did not have in common. And um, one of the things that stands out to me the most is that Joe is an oldest child, and I am a youngest child. And I don't know about you guys, but I know there are some big differences there. Um, The biggest one, in my opinion, is that oldest children are always torturers, right? Youngest children can say, amen, yes. (laughs) So in my case, this was really true. I have two older sisters and they loved torturing me. And maybe you're thinking like sisters, they probably didn't torture you as bad as like an older brother would. But I think sisters torture even worse than, than brothers would because they're very mental. Like they get in your head and they just mess you up. So I'm gonna tell you guys some funny things that happened to me as a kid. And just so you know, tip of the iceberg. I don't have time to share it all. Um, one thing that, that they did to me one time, and I, th- I think I was just like minding my own business, maybe washing dishes or something as like, you know, little run. I was just abused, guys. I was just washing dishes, doing everything. Um, but my sisters, they came, they tackled me down to the ground. and next thing I know, they are writing all over my face. And I'm like, what is going on? So finally, they let me up. I go into the bathroom and I look. And the word poop... Was written across my forehead, not with just any normal marker, but with a sharpie. Yeah, so if you guys know anything about sharpies and skin, you know that uh, that didn't come off very well. There was a little bit of a remnant of poop, you might say a skid mark. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't hide that one very well. So um, it was, you know, mentally torturing, right? Um, one other thing that my sisters loved to do to me, and this happened quite often, with something called Chinese torture. Um, Some of you might know what this is, some of you maybe have done this, and some of you maybe have had this done to you, and if that's the case, just know we do have counselors available here at the church. Um, But let me explain to you what Chinese torture is. So the torturer holds down the person they're torturing, which is always the younger sibling. They get down, you know, I mean, you are down. You're there. They've got you locked, and they get a loogie a big old loogie, you guys know what that is? Yeah, it's not From the deepest part of their soul, the most evil part of their soul, and they take this loogie and they let it drip, and then they suck it back in. And they do this again, they let it drip, and then they suck it back, and this is all very intentional because they are trying to get in your head. And when they get in your head, you begin to scream for help, because this is crazy, right? And when you scream for help, <laughs> you better believe that Loogie is gonna go right in your mouth. Yes. So that happened to me a lot. Please pray for me. I still need <laughs> healing in my life. Um, so obviously, as you know, a little girl walking around having this happen, I carried maybe a little bitterness, maybe some resentment little rage here and there Um, so one day in particular my older sister Kara was babysitting me and we were home alone um, just watching TV relaxing and I thought I want a smoothie so I got up to make a smoothie and the warehouse was laid out we had our kitchen our living room where we were actually watching TV and then we had our family room and in that family room we had a deep freezer and in the deep freezer was some frozen strawberries which I obviously needed for my smoothie so I get up and I have to walk by my sister who's laying on the couch and I can't help but notice how relaxed she is, how just at ease, her life is good. Like she's not worried that I'm about to tackle her and write poop on her forehead or spit a loogie in her mouth. You know, it was just good for her. She was having a good time. So I go and I get my strawberries and mind you, the strawberries that I get out of the freezer, they're not like individually frozen strawberries like you'd get at the store. They had some juice and stuff, so they were like frozen into a brick, okay? So I get my frozen strawberries and I'm walking back and I have to walk right by the couch, you know? And all of a sudden, and before I say this, I need you to know I was young, okay? I hadn't really thought about what could happen. Um, So I'm walking by the couch, I got my strawberries, and all of a sudden, that rage rose up in me, and I thought, I'm going to show her she can't mess with me. And I took the strawberries. I swung them as hard as my little girl self could, and I hit her over the head with the brick of strawberries. So Joe, you better watch out. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) But maybe you guys have heard the saying, um, sin takes you farther than you want to go, and it keeps you there longer than you want to stay. So for me, in this case, the farther than I wanted to go was I actually really hurt my sister. She didn't get up, jump up, run after me. She sat there, curled up into a fetal position, put her hands on her head and just sobbed. And that was not my intention. I just obviously wanted to scare her a little, you know, show her she couldn't mess with me. Um, You know, I visit her in the hospital every now and then. No, I'm totally just kidding. She's fine, she's great, she recovered. Um, but then the longer than I wanted to stay part was the fact that I hadn't calculated just how many nights and days I would spend worrying and wondering what exactly was going to happen to me as retaliation. So maybe at that moment, I should have used the fruit of self-control rather than using fruit to lose my self-control, right? <laughs> so today, guys, we're talking about self control, and I believe that everyone on the planet can have self-control. But here's the thing. We're talking about the fruit of the spirit self-control, which is different from maybe what we know. And so this fruit of the spirit actually does not come from what I want. It doesn't come from my will and my desire and just my grit and tenacity. This actually comes from the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of me. It comes from his will, his want, his desire. And his power philippians 2 13 says this not in your own strength for it is god who is all the while effectually at work in you energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight this is awesome news guys i don't know about you but for me it takes the pressure off Um, I don't feel like I just have to white-knuckle it, hope that I do the right thing and just get by. God is actually helping me, living on the inside, giving me the will, the desire, and the power, right? So this is really cool, but here's the trick. You have to invite Jesus in, and you have to give him control in your life. So if I could have you remember one thing from my little segment today, it would be this. Self-control takes control when I give God soul control. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says this, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's soul control. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, self control. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And this, I think, is the battle we all face, right? We want to do good, but we don't do good. We do the wrong thing, right? So what's the solution? You need self-control. How do you get self-control? Well, you let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Self-control takes control. When I give God soul control. So how do I really give God soul control. Well, at the risk of oversimplifying this, I believe that the answer is simple and I believe that it's found in Proverbs 3, 6. It says this, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I believe that if you're going through something, maybe you can't stop overeating. Maybe you can't stop overspending. Maybe you can't stop looking at that thing on the internet. You know you shouldn't. Maybe you can't say no to that pill Whatever it is in your life, I believe that if you just acknowledge God, look to him, put him first, that he will then come through and he's able to help you. And it's not that he's not there already. It's just that we have to allow him and give him access to help us in every single area. So cry out to God and say, God, I am weak, but I know that when I am weak, you are strong, and your strength is made perfect in my weakness. God, help me in this moment so guys i trust and i hope and i pray that in somewhat of the same way that my sister was impacted with fruit that you all today would be impacted with fruit as we continue even on in this series just remember self-control takes control when i give god soul control thank you guys so much would you help me welcome corey clement to the stage
2: Well, hey, guys. So I get to talk about patience, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized this shouldn't have come to any surprise to me because, like most of you, I, I have some sort of education where I come, I came in contact with a teacher, and here's what I realized about teachers. They do incredible things, but it, they do two things really well. They teach the information, and then they test you on the information. My mom always told me, you are testing my patience. So if I can test her patience, I'm sure I can teach her on patience as well. So we're gonna have fun tonight, and uh, I hope you know I don't have to test anyone's patience today. But when you think about patience, patience comes usually from two different areas, either with a person, like Aaron's sisters, I'm sure there's moments where they were testing her patience, or a situation. If you're like me, if you order your burrito at Chipotle to be done at 6.45, and it's not done at 6:45. your patience is a little thinner than the tortilla that they're about to give you it's rough it's rough and you know i just i just went through this uh moment in my life where I, I had to use a lot more patience than what i thought i would i thought it was something that would come a little easier to me and it's when i got engaged to my now fiance deanna and they're going to show you a clip um, some snippets of our engagement this is actually where she's going to walk up and propose to me Um, You'll see later where I cried. Um, But, you know, Deanna was really special and is really special to me. And I wanted to make sure that our engagement was something that she would never forget. And she always told me that she loves surprises. So I thought, I'm gonna have the best surprise for her. I'm gonna take her back to her favorite spot. See, she lived in California for a little over a year, and she'd always tell me how Malibu, California, was her favorite spot, how much she loved it, even though it was a long drive, she would go there. And I just thought, if I could get her back to her favorite spot, even though we both were in Ohio, that would just be awesome. I did all this because, like I said, she's so important to me and she's so special, and I was just so excited to take two of our plans and make it our plan, and I was so excited that my plan for this proposal came to pass because I had this plan for over two years. I had to wait for two years. You might be thinking, why did you wait that long? Well, one, I, I did have you know the pastor's daughter, so I had to get the approval of the pastor, and there was one stipulation that she had to be done with college, so I was fine with that, and I wasn't probably ready to, to actually care for another person, so it worked out perfectly, and I was just excited to, to have her at that point, and, You know there's a lot of stories in the bible where much like me i had to wait for this plan to happen i had to have patience you know in the bible with abraham and sarah they wanted to have a family together and it wasn't until sarah was 90 years old that they had their first child talk about patience that's a long time then you have joseph who was thrown into a pit to be pulled out of that pit probably thought this is the best case scenario for me only to be sold off into slavery, having all this trouble and hard times, and he had to stand on the promises of God. You know, we, we hear about in Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, that a lot of people know it, the, I have plans for you to prosper and not to harm you. He had to stand on those promises and he had to be patient. And when he was patient, he got into these incredible moments of his life. And here's what I realized with our plans and patience. They're, they're, they're linked together. And if we want to stand on those promises of Jeremiah, 2911, then we need to make sure that we're together on that and that God's plan develops through patience. That God's plan develops through patience. And, you know, if you were looking at all these different fruits, there's always going to be something that tries to say, you know, if this is of God, if this is how God acts, then there's gonna be someone out there that says, I don't want you to act like that, and that's our enemy, and that's the devil. And I purposely showed you that video earlier because I wanted to use it and I wanted to make sure it was in our mind because I think the first way that the enemy will make sure that we lose our patience or try our patience and in distraction will be through comparison. You know, it's real easy to see a polished result. You know, Steve is an incredible videographer here and he, he captures every moment, every angle, every smile, every hug, and he puts it all together to make this perfect moment and it's so fun to watch and it's so easy to see the final product and want the same result. And I think sometimes in our life, when we have all this patience and we're going down the right path and we see someone else that all of a sudden they had patience too, and they're at the end of their plan, our patience gets tried and we get frustrated. God's saying, just be patient and I can show you my plan. And then, you know, there can also be opposition. You saw that path that Deanna had to walk up to propose to me. Um, Before that, before she made that long trek up, There was quite a few people that came before her. So every second I'd see a head, I would think it's her, and I'd get a little nervous, and then it wasn't her, and I'd have to quietly and quickly tell them, can you please move out of the way? I'm about to propose. Most of them were like, oh, that's so awesome. I'm so excited for you. But then there was this one guy, just this one guy, at the very end, right before Deanna, and I'm like, hey, I'm about to propose. Can you move out of the way? He's like, what? I'm about about to propose. You're gonna propose? No, dude, come on, be quiet. She's like probably 20 feet behind you. And then he had to pull out his phone. He's like, like, well, let me FaceTime this. I'm like, I don't know you. She doesn't know you. Your family doesn't know me. Why do you have to pull out your phone? Opposition, am I right? She was, he was in the way and he was about to ruin my plan. I didn't let it happen. I was about to get mad right before I was supposed to get real happy. Jeez, you could tell I'm still a little heart rate's up right now. Recompose myself. But anyway, you know, there's going to be moments in our life where we we have been really patient, we've been trusting in God, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something comes up, blocks our way, blocks our path, blocks our plan, and we can get frustrated, and we want to just get mad, and we want to give up, and we want to go in a different direction, and that's what the enemy wants. He doesn't want you to stay patient with your plan. The last one, is ourself. You know, the night before I pr- proposed to Deanna, I was in California already. She didn't know I was there. Had to lie to her. Had to make up the time difference in my head. Almost gave it away. But the night I went to bed, I, I woke up with this nightmare that I forgot the ring. I was like, oh, geez, it's dark. I'm in a place that I- I've just just recently arrived. So I'm not really used to the landscape and I'm trying to find a ring in the dark. And <laughs> And I've already made a mess of my situation. I finally find the ring, and I'm just so happy that I actually didn't forget the ring. And it's almost like you want to sleep with, you know, you just want to put it on your chest and not forget it. I I put my hand on it the whole day just to make sure I didn't lose it. Man, we can have all these, we can have all the momentum going in our favor, we can have all the organization, all the planning. Everything is going our way. And all of a sudden, we go to bed. If you're like me, you go to bed and, and you think of all these terrible scenarios that will take away from the everything that you just planned. We can be our own worst enemy. Maybe when you wake up, you start thinking, This isn't for me. I'm not capable. This isn't the right plan. I misunderstood. But God's saying, Be patient. I have plans for you. You know, I can think of one, the best way to fight those distractions. It's this you, you combat distractions with interaction, you combat distraction. With interaction Sarah was in constant communication with God she wasn't just putting him out of her life just because she didn't see the results of his plan yet Joseph when he was in the when he's in the pit or being sold off to slavery he was still in this communication in this prayer life with God and I love what Romans 12 12 says it's talking about the characteristics of a Christian it says be joyous with hope be patient in your affliction be faithful in prayer. Prayer, that communication, that interaction, saying, be joyous and hope. Let let the hope that we have as Christians, being bo- born again, having that eternal life in heaven. Let that be your hope and your joy, so you can be patient in those times where you're tried, you feel in trouble, and you feel harm. And as always, make sure that you're in constant interaction with God, guys. Thank you so much. Can you do me a favor and help me welcome Kristen Cathers to the stage?
3: Good morning. Well, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you in here have dealt with fear or anxiety or worry at some point in your life? I think we can all agree most of us have at some point. Now, for me, growing up, I was deathly afraid of thunderstorms to the point where I actually would, at the first sound of um, thunder or the first sight of lightning, I would run to a basement, even if I was at a friend's house, run to their basement, curl up in the fetal position on the floor, plug my ears, close my eyes, there was a blanket and pillow, I'd add that on top of me, and I would stay there for the entire storm. And this actually lasted for about 14 years of my life. So even in middle school, I was doing this at night. I would go into my parents' room and do the same thing on their floor if it was storming in the middle of the night. This was a fear that gripped my life for 14 years of my life. Now, maybe you guys don't have a fear of thunderstorms, and that's okay. That's actually great. But... (laughs) Some of you in here, you have other fears. So for example, some of you in here, you have been hearing rumors at your company that you may be getting laid off or there may be cuts going on. So that's causing a little bit of anxiety because you don't know if or when you might be getting that phone call that says, hey, we're sorry, you're not gonna have a job starting next week. Or on the flip side, maybe you guys have been unemployed for a while you've been putting out applications, you've been trying to do everything you can to get a job, and it just seems like you keep hitting walls, and you're trying to provide for your family, and you're feeling the weight of not having that finance in your life, and you're trying and trying, but you're feeling very anxious about it. Parents, maybe in here you have such a desire, whether they're little kids or whether they're adult children in your life, you have such a desire to see your family follow God with everything that they have, but you're seeing your kids make decisions that are completely opposite of what the Bible says, and you're constantly worried about them. You're constantly feeling anxious about their their life and the decisions that they're making. Maybe financially you are going through a tough time, and you don't know if you're going to make your rent or mortgage payment this month. You don't know if you're going to provide food for your family on the table this month, and it's weighing on you students if you're in here. Maybe you're graduating from either high school or college in the next couple of years. You're feeling the weight of the decisions that you have to make, wondering, what is my future going to look like? What do I major in? Where do I go to school? Am I going to get scholarships? What job should I apply for? Should I move out of the area? Should I stay in the area? There's all these things that are weighing you down. Some of you in here, you may be really worried about the fact that you haven't met someone yet, and you're wondering, will I be single forever? Or maybe you're in a, a marriage that's really struggling right now, and you're wondering, Am I gonna have a broken marriage? There are so many things in our life that can cause worry and stress. And the reason why I know that is that statistically, there are a lot of stats out there that talk about this. So I wanna read them to you. This is just for adults, but anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the adults in the United States, affecting 40 million adults, which is about 18% of the population. So if you break that down, that's about one in five to one in six of us in this room are struggling with an anxiety disorder. We're dealing with this a a lot and very heavily. But that's just adults. Take a look at the college-age stats. 60% of college-age students are very sad, and over half of them, or 50%, feel an overwhelming sense of anxiety. That's a lot of pressure that college and young adult-age students are feeling, and we can see that. 6.3 million teenagers, which is 30% of girls and 20% of boys, have had an anxiety disorder. So as you can see, anxiety, worry, fear is no respecter of persons. All ages, all genders, all nationalities, all of us can deal with worry and fear at some point in our life. Now for some of you, it may be situational. It may be something that you're just dealing with once in a while when a situation comes. And once that situation's resolved, you're fine. You don't deal with worry and stress again until maybe another situation comes along. But as you can see, there are a lot of people that are dealing with this on a daily basis or struggling with this to the point where it's really affecting their life. So what do we do? How do we handle worry, fear, anxiety, stress, any of those things that have affected our life? Well, what we need to do when we feel anxious is we need to get anchored. We need to get anchored into what God says and into the word of God. So take a look at this scripture. It's Philippians four, six through seven. It says, don't worry about anything, easier said than done. But instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I love this because it gives us practical ways that we can not worry in our life, practical ways that we can experience God's peace in our life. And the first way we do that is to pray, to tell God what we need to let him into our situations, let him know what we're going through and what we're dealing with. And like I said, a lot of times it's easier said than done because when you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, the last thing that your natural self wants to do is probably pray. A lot of times you just wanna sit, you wanna isolate, you wanna constantly think about those worries and those fears, think about solutions. But the best thing that we could do is pray. The best thing that we can do is go to God and ask God to come into our life, into our situation, give us wisdom to know how to handle these things Give us the strength that we need to handle those things. And can I tell you, when you pray, you're going to see God come through. You're going to see his faithfulness come through. But the second thing it tells us to do is that we also need to thank God. I love this because one time I heard a pastor say that gratitude is actually the opposite of fear. And the reason why is that when you're in in an attitude of gratitude, so to speak, when you're thanking God for things going on in your life, what are you doing? You're focusing on the positive things in your life. And it's taking your mind off of the negative things, because a lot of times those negative things are what is causing those worries and fears. But when we're thanking God and we're saying, God, thank you so much for this part of my life. Thank you so much for doing this in my life. We're focusing on what God has already done. We're seeing his faithfulness. And it's so important that we continue to thank God for it. Now, I can say that it is easier said than done. And the reason why is that this last April, actually, I had my first ever panic attack, anxiety attack. Now, I'm 32 years old, so before that, I never dealt with worry and fear. I was a situational type person. A situation would happen, have a little bit of worry, but as soon as it was resolved in a couple days or a couple hours, I was fine, pretty happy-go-lucky. And then this past April, I was actually working here one day in my office. Out of nowhere, my heart starts racing. I start feeling so hot, I couldn't find relief, felt like I couldn't breathe, just, like, literally felt like I was dying because I've never experienced anything like that. I was so afraid. Now, the panic attack only lasted a couple of minutes, but the fear that came over me after this happened was so intense that I actually made my husband, Ryan, drive me home because I just wanted to be by myself. I couldn't work the rest of the day. I was just so afraid and so worried. I was actually so afraid to go to sleep that night that I would wake up in another attack or that I would actually die in the middle of the night that I had to put earphones into my ear. I made a worship playlist that was a kind of soft type music, and I just fell asleep. And I kept that on the entire night. There would be times I woke up in the middle of the night, feeling a little bit anxious, but I just kept listening to that worship music just to calm my spirit down. And then that morning, Ryan actually came into work. I decided to stay home and work in the morning. We had Paramount later that night, so I knew that I needed to come into the office, but. I was actually so afraid to drive, which is something I've been doing for 16 years of my life, but that's how intense the fear was. The littlest things that I've been doing for years and years and years, really affected me, and I was so afraid to do them. I was actually this close to dialing Ryan's number and saying, hey, can you pick me up before Paramount, bring me to church, because I don't think I can even drive. But what I did is I decided to implement what I knew the Bible said, and I started praying, and I started thanking God, and I actually wrote down a scripture on a little sticky note, and I put it in my car that day, and so that I could focus on that scripture the entire time I was driving, that's how afraid I was. But can I tell you, I got here safely, I'm fine driving now, But it's a process and it's a journey. And I do wanna mention this, that even though it's so important to get anchored into God, we also need to make sure that we also have a support team around us. We also need to make sure that we have people that we're talking to about the different struggles, different things that we're worried, feeling anxious about because they're your um, encouragement sometimes when you feel like you can't take another step. They're the ones that can lift you up. The Bible even says that two are better than one. And so make sure you get a support system around you. So that's what I did. So I actually, I went to a medical doctor just to make sure that physically everything was okay, got blood work taken. Thankfully everything came out okay on that end. I also decided I'm gonna talk to a professional counselor. I have great spiritual mentors in my life, but I've never gone to a professional that has an objective point of view that doesn't know anything about me at all. So I started seeing a professional counselor just to see if there were things that I needed to talk through and I still go to one about once a month just to talk through things that may have happened that month and that's good to get things off your chest and get that um, person speaking into your life but then I also have an amazing family and support system I have my husband my parents my in-laws trusted friends that I went to that I talked to about it and they were all so encouraging they were people that I knew were praying for me when I was going through this and I can tell you today that it's still something every once in a while that I'm still battling and still dealing with, but it's not nearly as bad as it was in April because I've implemented this. In fact, one of the things that I did to get anchored is that I found as many scriptures as I could on peace, fear, anxiety. So for me, I found about 30 that I really held on to. And I actually, I still have them in my phone, but I saved every single one of those. And anytime I start feeling those feelings of fear, or anxiety, I pull out my phone and I just start thanking God for those scriptures. I start saying, God, I thank you that you have not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. I thank you that you are with me in everything, that when I am weak, you are strong. And I just constantly pray the scriptures over my life. And so I want to encourage you today, if you are dealing with any type of fear, anxiety, worry, anything, pray about it. Tell God what's going on. Make sure you're thanking him also for what, you're, what he's doing in your life, even if the only thing that you can thank him for is that you're breathing today. If that's the only thing that you can think of, start there. Just start thanking God, and you're going to start seeing God's faithfulness come fr- through. You're going to start seeing his strength come through. And so remember, when we feel anxious, it's time to get anchored. So with that being said, thank you so much, guys. Why don't you help me welcome Ari Bush to the stage?
4: here to talk to you today about love and I thought a really good place to start would be by telling you about the first time that I fell in love. It was the fifth grade, a magical time, and uh, her name was Megan. Now by all accounts, Megan was the prettiest girl in our class. This was a consensus we had reached. And I was the nerdy class clown, the scrawny kid with big glasses. Um, and so some said that I didn't have a shot, but I was, I was convinced that through perseverance and passion, I could win her over. And so I worked up the nerve to ask her out with a note, of course. I couldn't, at that time, I was generally too terrified to speak with her face-to-face or make eye contact with her, but the note was great. And so she wrote, she wrote me back, and it was a very sweet and polite note. I was discouraged, I'm not gonna lie to you, but I wasn't defeated. So I asked her out again, six more times. And on the seventh time, which feels right to say in church, on that seventh time, she said yes, guys, yeah. However, I was not prepared for the pressure of being the boyfriend of the prettiest girl in the fifth grade. It was crushing. (laughs) And so um, even though we were dating, I still somehow couldn't make eye contact with her or talk to her. So it got more awkward after the yes. And so after three days of this silent dating bliss, I'm sitting in the lunchroom and one of the coolest kids in my my class, a guy I was totally intimidated by, because he was like, he was a jock. He was handsomer than me, cooler than me. Uh, he sits down next to me and he, he says, hey, um, your girlfriend said she wants to kiss me at recess today. You know, so I was reeling, like, how could she do this to me after all these three days we've had? And so um, so I decided I had I had flown too close to the sun, you know, I had been in over my head and it was time to save some face and break this thing off. And so I confronted her betrayal and I broke up with her, with a note. Again, <laughs> not not going to talk to her face to face about this. And so um, she wrote she wrote me back, and she said, "Hey, I'm sorry, but you were lied to. I wasn't going to kiss at anybody, um, but I will accept your proposal that we that we end things." So I responded by asking her out for an eighth time. She said no. Now. If you had asked fifth grade me, I would have told you with complete confidence that I was in love with this girl. And maybe you would have said, small nerdy child, you don't know what love is. And I would have argued because I was obnoxious. But really, how could I have been in love with her? I didn't know her, I never spoke to her. this love that we had shared uh, was all about me and in the in the end it was it was about my pride and my insecurity and so um, you know it's interesting the only concern that I really had for her was what does she think about me and I, I think it's it's something that we all run into where a lot of times we do things for love that really aren't about anybody else but us right um, Most of the world operates on something called, transactional love. So, we have a need or a desire and we're gonna use this relationship, this friendship, whatever it is, to try and fill that, you know? So, this is easy for us because by nature, we look out for number one. It's kind of our default mode, right? We are out to make ourselves happy, generally. And so, we go into a friendship, again, or a relationship, and we think, okay, this is gonna help me get closer to this, so this can help me achieve this. And if something good happens for the other parties involved, we're never like anti that, right? It's not that we don't have affection for these people, it's that really we're more concerned with our own happiness. Um, And any act that's not performed in love really is inherently kind of selfish, right? Because if it's done for transactional reasons, um, it's, it's about us and not really the other party involved. And what Jesus lived out and what god has called us to is something that's so much deeper than transactional love there's a really famous bit of scripture that paul wrote um it's it's all about love and this is first corinthians 13 1 through 3. it said if i could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others i would only be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol and if i had the gift of prophecy and i understood all of god's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if i had such faith that i could move mountains but didn't love others i would be nothing and if i gave everything i have to the poor and even sacrificed my body i could boast about it but if i didn't love others i would have gained nothing and when i read that my honest first reaction is like i think harsh Paul right like if I did any one of these things it would be the coolest thing that had ever happened to me you know it would be the most spiritual event of that year we're talking about moving mountains giving everything you have to the poor all these amazing things and he's like well if you didn't do it with love it doesn't add up to anything it's like can I get a little credit maybe like a a plaque that I could hang on the wall or or a commemorative t-shirt perhaps moved mountains 2017 it would look really good on me you know God's feelings on the subject of love are made pretty clear here. Um, I'd like to sum it up like this. Love takes the you out of the things you do. Love takes the you out of the things that you do. See, we're so good, we're really amazing, if you think about it, at making everything about ourselves, right? Our, our pride, our insecurities, they paint this picture of the world for us that revolves around us. We have a very me-centric universe that we operate in. And the interesting thing is what Jesus did. So Jesus he's he's so opposite of us. He comes down to earth. He's he's God who takes on human flesh. He lives a blameless perfect life and he seeks out this group of imperfect and downright messed up people to be his disciples these these guys have nothing to offer a holy God right they have no business being in Jesus presence really but his relationship with them was not about what they could do for him Jesus relationship with his disciples was all about what he wanted to do with them he had plans for them he was going to sacrifice a lot in the end he was going to sacrifice everything for them and for us. you know, the the interesting thing is God's love, it it isn't, it isn't transactional, it's, it's sacrificial. See, transactional love says, what am I going to get out of this? But sacrificial love says, you might not get anything. In fact, it's probably going to cost you something. And maybe it's something as basic as your time, but sacrificial love always has a cost attached to it, every time. And, uh, Paul has a little bit more to say about what it looks like when we walk in sacrificial love. So we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Now we're in verses 4 through 7. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That sounds great, right? It's really poetic. You've probably heard it said at a wedding or two. I know I have. Um, But again, my first thought there is, that's a lot, Paul. That's kind of lofty, right? Like, if I embodied any of those qualities for any given portion of time, that would again be like the most amazing thing I had done all year. Um, To do these things, it sounds really difficult. And the interesting thing is when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit like we are, when you talk about all the qualities that Paul just listed there, it's actually describing a very specific personality. These are the characteristics of Jesus. So the amazing thing is it sounds impossible for someone to do, but, but there's a guy who did it. There's a guy who actually lived all this out. And here's the deal, guys. Without Jesus, this kind of love is impossible for us. You know, maybe you could capture a bit of it. You could try really hard and capture a smidge of it for just a time, but eventually we would revert to going for number one, you know, looking out for ourselves. And the amazing thing is that uh, the amazing thing is that is that God God just he thinks so differently from us. You know, He comes at things from this angle that really we can't come at things from. See, we're, we're so determined sometimes to make things happen. The temptation is like, I'm gonna be kind. No, this person that they drive me crazy, I'm gonna be kind to them. I'm gonna make this happen. Good luck. You might, you might be successful for a day or two, but at some point they're gonna push you over the edge and you're gonna snap. Because this kind of love, it's not about your effort. That's not, that's not what it's about. So if, if you follow Jesus with your life and you watch how he operated, In the bible you watch how he operates now you'll start to see some of those qualities reflected in you see it's love that takes the you out of the things you do that puts god and other people first and when we begin to put god and other people first we will see amazing things happen see every one of you even if you don't understand or realize it god has put gifts and abilities in you that are amazing but they will never flourish unless they're used to bless other people. See, they're meant to be shared. If, if all they ever did, if all your talents and gifts ever did was advance your individual cause, you would never reach your full potential because we're meant to live for other people. It's actually how God designed us. And when we operate in this love, it opens wide our ability to walk in peace, to have patience, to have self-control, all these fruits of the spirit because they come from what God is doing inside of us. See, fruit is just evidence of the kind of tree that you're looking at, right? An apple tree doesn't have to focus really hard to make apples. It doesn't have to think apple, apple, apple. So, the thing is, but we we see fruit and because we're external, right? We're visual by nature. So we maybe see somebody exhibiting the fruit of the spirit and it's like, I can do that, I'm gonna make that happen. But if, if we're not relying on an internal work that we allow Jesus by his grace to do, then we're gonna falter, you know? We're gonna we're gonna be left with our heads scratching. Well how how did they do that? How did Jesus do that? Um, because bearing fruit becomes a lot easier when you've put in the time to let Jesus do that slow work, that internal work. And then the external evidence, it comes. But if you worry about the external evidence and don't ever get to the internal, you're never gonna see that fruit you wanna see. But one day, if you've been following Jesus, if you've been watching how He operated, trying to put God and other people first, one day you're gonna look out, you're gonna say, Oh, there's the fruit on that branch. There's the kindness I tried to make happen. But now it's just my response because God has changed my nature he's changed the kind of tree that I am I don't have to be an apple tree I'll be what he's what he's made me to be so that's the struggle guys we want to make it happen but God is saying no no I've d- I've done it there's, there's something I want to do for you I'm gonna I'm gonna make it happen not you can we bow our heads and pray Father, we thank you so much for all these qualities, uh, all these fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about. It's so amazing to study the character of Jesus and to see how, how you look at things. And I thank you, God, would you just, for every believer here, would you relieve us of the desire to make these things happen? Lord, replace it with a desire to trust you. Give us faith. God, if we lack faith, uh, give us faith to trust you that you can bring about the results that we desire. That you will be the one to put fruit on that tree. That we don't have to work and labor for it, but to rest in what you're doing in our lives. God, that's not easy for us. So help us help us to give control up to you. Help us to let go of the reins and trust you. And I thank you, God, that as we do it, you are going to change our lives and change the lives of the people that we get to serve every day. Amen. And guys, I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here um, and you think, man, that that all sounds really neat, a God that's alive on the inside of you that's making changes in your heart and doing things, but that's kind of a new idea to me. Um, I've I've never really had what sounds like a personal relationship with Jesus that you guys must have. Well, it's really easy. I'd like to tell you that um, God... Is actually, he's intending on on meeting you today. There, we don't believe in accidents, so we think that we think that God has you here for a reason. And he he'd like to start a personal relationship with you, and so if you're here today and you think, man, this this sounds attractive to have these these fruit in my life, to have these things happen because of what Jesus wants to do in my heart. If that sounds like something you want to you want to enter into. we love to give you an invitation. It's super simple. It's, it's not some crazy religious thing. We're going to say a simple prayer. We're all going to say it together so you don't have to say it by yourself and be, be embarrassed. We're not going to single you out, but we're all going to pray together. If you believe what you're saying and mean it with your heart, then God is going to do an amazing thing on the inside of you that's going to bear fruit pretty quickly and eternally going to be an amazing thing. So let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrificial love. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you rose again. I thank you that you want to live inside me. Jesus, teach me how to be like you. I ask you to forgive me for every mistake and thank you for loving me in spite of those mistakes. I ask you to come into my life and lead me from this day forward, amen. Thank you for listening
0: to the BC Podcast.